Well, that, of course, was a scene from Cecil DeMille's The Ten Commandments, 1956. We went way back. Um, and it, this was, if you're, you, probably, if, even if you haven't seen the film, uh, even if this seems like, you know, eons ago to you, you're familiar with the images. They're iconic. Charlton Heston as Moses. At its time, it was lauded as one of the greatest cinematic achievements in film history. And this was, it was a, a labor of love to kind of bring this story to life. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is, as we look at the life of Moses is how much this figure has inspired artists of all stripes, how much this story has compelled people to kind of try and wrap their ma- minds around what makes a man like this do what he did. So we're continuing in a series that we're calling Deliver Us, where we're looking at the person of Moses. Again, this figure who is so prominent, so um, compelling, he plays a major role in three of the world's major religions, right? Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all hold Moses in high regard. That this individual has influenced the way that Law and philosophy has been thought about for generations. What is it that made this man who he was? So we're looking at that over the next couple of weeks. We're looking at kind of formative moments in his life. One of them was portrayed in this scene that we saw here. We're going to look at it in... uh, in Exodus, we're going to look at the, the scriptural account here. And I encourage you, um, if you have a Bible, to be reading along with us. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have extra on the counter ba- in the back. Please grab one, take it as our gift to you. Uh, this is a very, it's, it's a long story. Uh, there's, Moses' story spans multiple books. And so there's a lot that we're not going to get to on a Sunday morning. But just encourage you to be reading this story, following along with us at home. Um, for the scriptures we use in the morning, we'll have them up on the screen so you can follow along that way. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man, who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. 
So here, Moses' childhood is a pretty brief segment. If you were with us last week, we read kind of the beginnings of his, being, his mom putting him in a, in a basket, setting him afloat on the Nile to protect him from this decree that all the boys needed to be killed. He's taken in by this Egyptian princess, and she gives Moses to his mother, a Hebrew slave, to nurse. She doesn't realize it's her mother, but you kind of see the hand of God in all of this working out so that Moses' mother actually becomes the one who raises Moses, at least until he's weaned. From there, we get the, like we kind of immediately get Moses has grown up, and we get this incident of him killing this slave. Now, I'm sorry, not slave, this Egyptian. Um, now, we don't exactly know what motivated Moses to do this. In fact, a lot of the movies, if you watch any of these movies about Moses, it's interesting to kind of watch the, the people producing the films kind of wrestle with, like, what would have caused him to do this? Like, why, why would he have done this? Because if you think about it, I mean, he spent years growing up in an Egyptian palace. He's probably seen this same thing play out. He's probably seen slaves get beaten before. But at this moment, he chooses to act. And he chooses to act decisively by killing the Egyptian. So we don't know all the details. The, the scriptures don't give them to us. But one of the things that seems really clear that the author is trying to kind of show us in what Moses is doing is that Moses recognizes that these are his people, that these slaves that have been oppressed for, for 400 years, that he's actually kind of benefited from their oppression, living within this kind of this royal household, that they are in fact his people, and that there's something in him where he wants to be a part of their deliverance. He doesn't quite get all of it. He has no idea what's coming, but there's something in him that he feels like he needs to play a role in rescuing them. And so he attempts to do that, and when he does it, it backfires. So he kills this guy, and, and the next encounter we see in Exodus is him talking to some other Hebrews who are fighting, and he assumes that he might actually kind of have some trust in the bank, right? Like there's some way that he can come and, and talk to them. But it turns out that his action, which he thought was for their good, ends up making it more difficult for him to even relate to them. This thing that he thought he was doing to rescue them makes it more difficult for him to have trust. It turns out it was a mistake. At least it seemed that way, a big one. And so Moses runs. And this is ancient, right? This is thousands of, of years ago. But Moses is still a person. He's still a, a human being with, with all the same aspirations and hopes. I mean, not the same, but the same kinds of aspirations and hopes that you and I experience. And like you and I, I'm sure, Moses hated this mistake. We really struggle with making mistakes. I mean, many of us don't make mistakes at this level, right? Like, we don't make the, uh, the I, hope many of, I hope most of you haven't killed somebody and buried them in the sand in an effort to, to rescue someone. Most of us haven't erred on that side, but we've all made mistakes. And most of us hate it with a passion. I mean, we don't say that, right? Like, we like to quote Alexander Pope, uh, you know, to err is human, to forgive is divine. We love that quote. Um, many of us, it's, it's almost like, like a mantra, right? Like, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. We say that stuff over and over again. But for many of us, as much as we might say those words, whenever we actually make a mistake, an error, 
we feel this deep sense of shame and failure. You know, maybe when you realize you've made a mistake as a parent, you hear that little voice in your head saying, you are a lousy mom. You're a lousy dad. Or when you, uh, you know, you kind of, you mess up that project at work. Frustrating, sure. Disappointing, yes. But for some reason, there's this voice in your ear saying, loser, you're a freaking moron. I have a friend who, um, he had a, a dad who was very successful. He was actually an executive um, at a, a computer company. If I mentioned the name, you'd know it. Um, he got started on the ground floor. And so he very quickly became a wealthy person, made lots of money. Um, but if you're going to be an executive in a company like that, that's growing at that level, that's having the kind of impact they were having, you have, you have to be willing to kind of push hard to make tough decisions, to be driven. And as I got to know my friend, and he was talking some about his experience with his dad, he, he loved his dad. Dad's great. Really thankful for the dad I have. At the same time, he saw things that, that broke his heart. He would tell me about going golfing with his dad. And his dad was one of those angry golfers. You've met them. You you may be one. Um, But it was a little different for his dad. It wasn't just like he shanked the ball or he hooked it into the the trees and he got angry. It was this personal thing for him. So if he was having a bad golf day, it wasn't just, you know, the stupid club or this, you know, course or, or whatever it is. It was, I'm such a loser. It was cursing himself. It was, it was smacking himself in the head. It was, it was screaming at himself in front of his son, in front of other people. And he's like, he would say, Tim, this is, this is how he motivated himself. This is how he got himself to where he got himself professionally. He just beat himself up over and over and over again. Mistakes, they weren't learning opportunities they, they made him feel vulnerable. And you can't feel vulnerable when you're at that level. And of course, the, whilst professionally it worked out okay, right? Like he made it to the top, he made lots of money, a couple of different houses. Personally, it destroyed him. And as I talked to his son who was entering into his 30s, he was wrestling with these voices in his own head. And what do I do if I don't want to be the kind of person who beats myself up every time I make a mistake? How do I move past that? He was still wrestling with his father's demons. As much as he loved his father and appreciated all his father did, that stuck with him. Somewhere along the line, a lot of us have started to believe that mistakes are character flaws rather than simply what it means to be a person in the midst of a complex world making complex decisions. That mistakes that we make are fingers pointing back in our face saying, see, I told you, you aren't good enough. I told you, you can't do this. Interestingly, as we follow the arc of Moses' story, 
we can't help but notice that this mistake is actually a critical moment in his development. That this thing he does wrong is something that is used to move the story along. It's the thing that drives him to, to Midian, where he meets his wife Zipporah, and he gets kind of brought into this family, and over the next 40 years spends time getting shaped, and ultimately leads him to this kind of next event we'll talk about next week, this encounter where if, if, even if you have no clue what the story of Moses is, you've probably seen, you know, burning bush uh, images, and you know that that's something that happened to a guy in the desert where maybe God spoke through a bush or something like that. Again, it's an iconic image, but he wouldn't have gotten there if it wasn't for this mistake. Because for the Hebrew mind, there are no coincidences. Things don't just happen. When they look at this mistake and see Moses driven into the wilderness, welcomed by this people, they see God at work in creating an opportunity out of this error that he made. Where many of us see an oops, God sees an opportunity, a chance to do something new. I, uh, I think about this in my own life, actually, quite a bit. This week, uh, um, I went in to, to visit my counselor. Um, from time to time, I'll, I'll take some time to go see a woman, and it's been really helpful. And, and more recently, I'd, I'd been having some, some, some problems just setting some good boundaries with like work and home life and things like that, and I was frustrated with myself, and, and we were just kind of, yeah, it was just creating all sorts of complications for me. And so I was like, you know, I, I need to go in and see her. So I went in, and, and I met with my counselor, and, and she gave me some handles, and it was really helpful, and I walked away, and there were a couple of new things. I was like, oh, I need to, I need to think about this and process this, pray about this, talk with Tracy about this. And I had this thought. I was like, you know... I really wish that I was the kind of person who didn't make these kinds of mistakes, who led us to these places, and then I had to go to a counselor and work on this stuff and kind of, I really wish that wasn't true for me. But I would not be nearly as healthy as I am. And and I'm not that healthy. You know, if you know me, you're like, well, that's not saying a whole lot. But, I mean, I would not be nearly as healthy as I am in terms of personally, spiritually, my relationship with my family, my work, if I wasn't constantly making mistakes and figuring out how to ask for help in moving through them, I I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am now. Maya Angelou, the, the poet, says this, You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. And this is what God does again and again and again. He takes mistakes. He takes our oopses, the things that we wish we hadn't done, and he turns them into opportunities for us to become more fully who we were created to be for us to receive healing that we've longed for, changes that need to happen in our lives, to create space for us to move forward. God uses these mistakes as opportunities to shape us if we let him. 
There's a beautiful interaction that happens uh, at the end of the fourth gospel, the fourth biography uh, of Jesus that we find in the New Testament. It's the Gospel of John. And it records an interaction between Jesus and one of his closest followers, a guy named Peter. Now, Peter has just kind of made a royal mistake where he... He was following Jesus after he was arrested, and he was being tried at the court of the high priests. And as Jesus is being tried, Peter follows him, and he sits around this coal fire with some of the people in the priest court. And there are three different opportunities that he's given to kind of align himself with Jesus, where they say, hey, weren't you with him? Aren't you one of his people? And three times, as Jesus actually predicted earlier, Peter says, nope, wrong guy, not me. Uh Uh-uh. Three times. Then we get, you know, Jesus is, he dies and he rises again and he meets with Peter in this intimate encounter that we get at the end of John. I want to read it to you and, and there's some pieces in here. I'm, I'm kind of making it brief for the sake of time. I encourage you to go back and read it. It's in John chapter 21. We get this. Afterward, Jesus appeared, afterward, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said, follow me. I love this scene. And, and you've got you to pay attention to what's happening, right? So a couple chapters before, remember, Peter's around this coal fire with people from the high priest's court. So what does Jesus do? He meets, Jesus, he meets Peter on the beach, and he makes a fire over some coals. This sound familiar, Peter? And he invites Peter to sit down in the same moment. And three times he asks Peter to affirm his love. And then, what does he do? This is the best part. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, shame on you. What were you thinking? I mean, we've been talking about this. Three years you've been following me. And then when it kind of, you know, when, when push comes to shove and you're in the moment, you deny me three times? Like I told you. Like 48 hours, 24 hours earlier, I told you you were going to deny me. Like by the second time, it should have rung up. Like he didn't do any of that. None of it. He reaffirms Peter and reminds him, look, you've got a job to do. Follow me and feed my sheep. Peter's botching of all of this would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to just pile on the shame and the guilt to try and motivate him by like, hey, you are a lousy individual. Now let's buck up and prove something else. He doesn't. He loves on him and reminds him, you're bigger than this. There's more for you than this. Let's keep going together. And this is what God does. And in Christ, 
we see God doing again and again in the scriptures and in our lives is he doesn't use our mistakes to shame us. He uses them to shape us, right? That our mistakes are opportunities to shape us into the people we were created to be. So how can we begin to see our mistakes as opportunities? I think there's, there's two things I want to throw out there for us to think about. The first thing that we need to do is to realize that we are accepted, or I'm sorry, we need to accept that we are imperfect, but loved and accepted anyway. We're imperfect people, but we're loved and accepted anyway. So many of you know um, Robert Downey Jr., a.k.a. Tony Stark, um, or you know who he is. I doubt you know him. If you do, that would be a cool story, and I want to hear that. Um, So uh, if if you're familiar with the story at all, he has kind of an interesting uh, career arc. Uh, He burst on the scene around 19. I think he was... Uh, you know, even before that, he had bit parts. His dad was a, a director, producer. Um, and so he'd get bit parts and roles. But around 19, really started landing some big ones. And in the, in the early, mid-80s, he got some roles in movies like The Pickup Artist, Air America, and then Chaplin in the early 90s, I believe, where he was even nominated for an Oscar. I mean, he was a shining star in Hollywood, and it was just going up, up, up. Until he got in trouble with drugs and alcohol. He was addicted to, I believe it was cocaine. And there were a couple of incidences where he got caught publicly high, breaking some minor laws. And he was sent to rehab a couple, of, a couple of times, broke out of rehab a couple of times. It was a very up and down kind of experience for him. Eventually kind of comes out in the, uh, the mid to late 90s, comes out of rehab and gets started again with his career, gets a, 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 a character in Ally McBeal. If you remember that series, wins the Golden Globe for it. Again, an amazing actor. But then he relapses once again, um, back into addiction. And he kind of disappears for a while. Back, you know, suddenly, the next decade comes around. He finally gets himself clean, and he gets back, kind of has some friends who come around him, support him, go to bat for him, get him some gigs, and eventually he lands Iron Man. And the rest is history. Now at 41... He commands the highest salary of any actor in Hollywood. And he's moving in a good direction. And I was reading an interview with him in GQ. And the, uh, the headline that I saw at first disappointed me. It said, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't want to talk about his failures. I was like, ah, really? Come on. But then I read it. And I want to share this quote with you. I thought it was remarkable. He says, I don't want to talk about failure. I want to talk about moments of humility. Like when you feel suddenly sick and embarrassed, but then you have to continue on to the next moment immediately in full view of others. Because it's not failure if you just recognize, I fell short, and that's okay. I love that. It's not failure if you recognize, I fell short, and that's okay. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there aren't you don't bear any responsibility in your mistakes. Sometimes we make mistakes that create collateral damage. They hurt people around us. And we need to work on reconciliation. There might be times we need to repent, to to kind of recognize we did something wrong that we need to, to repent from, to ask forgiveness from this individual to make things right. It's not that we just say, eh, I'm a flawed person. Sorry about that. Right? Like we deal with that stuff. 
But it doesn't help anybody, ourselves or the people around us, if we get mired in shame and guilt. That just paralyzes us. That destroys us. And centered to the message of the gospel, this this good news that Jesus brings, is that shame and guilt are no longer the things that have power over us. In uh, his letter to the Romans, Paul writes this in the New Testament. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase. He says, Since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners, both us and them, talking about Jews and Gentiles, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he puts us in right standing with himself, a pure gift, He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. This is one of the core messages of Jesus. That we are not as good as we want to be or as we ought to be, but we are loved far more than we ever thought possible. And that in Jesus' death, and resurrection, we see fully the love of God and the extent that God goes to free us from shame and guilt to the lives we were created for. This is the message of Jesus. So, for us to begin to see opportunity, or to see oopses, mistakes, as opportunities, we need to first recognize the depth of God's love for us so that we can move forward from our mistakes. And secondly, we need to persevere. We need to take that next step. One of the things we can't get away from when we look at the story of Moses that I think is fascinating is that immediately after he steps up to kind of deliver this slave and makes this big mistake, he gets, he gets the same opportunity again. He shows up at this well in Midian where some women aren't being treated very well. And for many of us, after experiencing that, you know, what he did back in Egypt, killing somebody in, in trying to defend the other Hebrews, um, like it probably would have made me take pause and be like, do I really want to get involved in this again? Like that did not go well last time. I mean, I know it, this isn't a great situation, but this has not gone well in the past. But he doesn't. Something in Moses enables him to try again, to step back in, and make an effort to to persevere. And again, we don't get a lot of Moses' process in that. We we don't totally understand all that was happening behind the scenes there. But for us, the only way that we're going to be able to embrace mistakes as opportunities is if not only we receive the love God has for us in Christ, but we also take the courage to step forward and try again. To recognize that if we make more mistakes, they are simply more opportunities for God to shape us and change us, grow us and heal us. That those are actually necessary parts of life, of being human. To not be willing to make mistakes is is to shut out many opportunities that you'll be offered in life to embrace our position as people who are loved and to have the courage to step into the next opportunity even if we end up making a mistake is a surefire formula for us to grow as people, as followers of Christ, as people 
who were created to live full lives, mistakes and all. I want to leave you with a final quote by Maya Angelou. She says, Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. And this is true for those of us who are looking to follow in the way of Jesus. There will be a lot, many opportunities along the way for us to get discouraged, to feel shame, guilt, and the call of the good news of Jesus is to remember you were loved far more than you imagined. Not as good as you want to be or as you ought to be, but loved way more than you can imagine. And so we step forward in courage, looking for opportunities for God to make our mistakes places where we're shaped into more full human beings. Father, thank you that that you don't motivate us by shame and guilt, that you don't desire for us to live in shame and guilt over our mistakes, but that you use those mistakes as opportunities to shape us, to grow us. Would you help us to understand, to, to receive your love for us? And would you help us to have the courage to step forward, to make mistakes, to recognize those, and to allow you to teach us and grow us and change us as we move through them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.